What I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you about the details behind the plan. The details behind the plan. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at uh, two particular things. First of all, uh, the details behind the plan when it came to the first coming of Jesus. And then uh, uh, to uh, use that as a template for us to look at our own lives. And, and to see the, the, the working of God behind the, the, the scenes and the, the details behind the plan for our lives. And, and using uh, Jesus and his first coming and all the things that God had set up for that as the template for what to look out for in your own life. Are you ready? And by the way, we got the kids in the house tonight. So if you are 12 and under, can I hear you say, hey... All right. I know we got a few of you out there, but uh, uh, we're not having children's class tonight. So glad to have my, my mighty men and my mighty ladies here with us tonight. So here we go. The details behind the plan. Now, now we're going to look at five things in relation to Jesus' first coming and five things in relation to us in our own life. The, the five things are uh, the why, the when, the where, the who, and the what. Why, when, where, who, and what. Or you might say it like this. The purpose, the punctuality, having to do with time, of course. The place, the people, and the price. I know I went through that fast, but you'll have a good chance to take notes because we're going to slow it down right now. The details behind the plan. Are you ready? Let's take a look at the first coming of Jesus and the things that God had uh, uh, obviously set up behind the scenes, the details behind the plan that we can see as we look at this. First of all, Matthew chapter 1, we see something very interesting. Verse 20 and 21, it says, uh, talking about uh, uh, Joseph, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the holy spirit and she will bring forth the son and you shall call his name jesus for here comes the why he will save his people from their sins why always has to do with purpose and god is a god of purpose are you with me on that God does not do things without purpose. God is intentional. And he intentionally sent Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. God knew we needed saving. God knew there was only one way to get the job done. God was intentional. There was a why behind what he did. We also see it in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, right there, as soon as the mess of the Garden of Eden took place, God spoke, speaking words into the future and said, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right away, God spoke words declaring the fact that there was going to be the seed of a woman. Obviously, that just don't happen because we know if you know anything about biology and how things work, seed comes from the man, not from the woman. But God talked about the seed of a woman talking about a virgin birth. 
He shall bruise the serpent's head. And I'm glad to tell you that God was very intentional and very purposeful when he put that out there, that, that Jesus would bruise the serpent's head. And that is so beautifully illustrated over in 1 John 3, 8, where it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Are you with me tonight? So God was very purposeful and intentional. What was the why as far as this, the, the details behind the plan? What was the why? It was so that he could save his people from their sins. And it was so he could absolutely bruise the head of the serpent and put the serpent out of business. Come on now. Hallelujah. Now, that's the why. What about the when? The when, the, the punctuality. I've got to tell you, God's punctual. He is right on time. Seldom early, but right on time. Come on, somebody. Think about this, that, that even in prophetic scripture, the prophet Daniel prophesied with amazing pinpoint precision the timing of when Jesus would come. Not just that he would come, but the timing. He actually used the term weeks. Talking about a, uh, not a, uh, a seven day week, but actually a seven year week. Using the term weeks figuratively as a set of seven. And so he's talking about what ended up being a total of 69 weeks until the point where Messiah would be cut off. And I gotta tell you, the numbers work out from the time of the writing of Daniel to the time of, of Jesus being here and, and, and the crucifixion of Jesus. It's amazing the precision, the precision with which the prophet spoke. So we see the, the when of God's plan. We see the punctuality behind God's plan. We also see this, the words of Paul in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. He said, but when the fullness of time, had come. When the fullness of time had come. It's like time got pregnant and the baby was coming. You know what I'm saying? But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So we see that, that with God, there is a win. There's a punctuality. God is an on Time, God. And you know, if you ever feel well, he sure felt late this time. Well, guess what? You, you really can't be qualified as late when you can raise the dead. Jesus was four days late on Lazarus. Remember that? But when you can raise the dead, you're never late. Come on now. Hallelujah. And we see this about Jesus and, 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 and the, even in his ministry, we see the fullness of time for his coming. And, and then, the, then even more specifically regarding the, the purpose for which he was born. We know that Jesus was not just born so that we could have us a Christmas tree and sing some nice songs this time of year. Jesus was born to die. We know that Jesus was born so that he could ultimately give his life for us. But, 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 uh, in relation to that, as time went on, we, we see the, 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 the fact that, 
that, that Jesus made reference. And in the Gospel of John, you see many references to the fact that there was an hour coming. How many of you have ever read that in Scripture before? Reference to the hour. The, uh, Jesus said in John 2, right at the point where he was about to perform his, his first miracle, he said, my hour is not yet come. Uh, the, the, there were uh, several cases where, where people wanted to put a hurting on Jesus, but it, it said that his hour was not yet come. You see that over in the, later, later in the, the Gospel of John. You, you see Jesus uh, uh, towards the later part of his ministry uttering these words that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And we see the fact that Jesus knew the, the costs associated with this hour that was coming. When he later uttered the words in John chapter 12, he said, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. And then over in John 13, you see the, the beginning of the chapter where Jesus uh, had just finished the, the Last Supper and was about to, to show the, the beautiful example uh, of servanthood by washing the feet of his disciples. But before that, the scripture says this, that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world and go to the Father. And then ultimately, in his prayer in John 17, he begins it by saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. There's a time. There's a when. There's a punctuality in the plan of God. There's something that he works out in these details behind the plan so that with absolute precision, that when when comes... When when comes, when the time comes, that everything's in alignment, everything's just right. You got the, the star in the sky at just the moment when there's wise men from the east coming on over and wanting to see, where is he? Where is he who's born king of the Jews? You see the, the, the alignment of the word of the Lord spoken by Daniel. You see a star in the sky at just the right moment. You, you see everything coming into place at just the right moment because God is a God of precision. The where. The where. We're talking about the place. You know, God is so exact and don't Think for a minute that God does not care about geography. Because when we relate this to us, we're looking at the pattern. But then when we relate this to us, we're going to see that God cares about geography. How meticulous was God Almighty when he spoke these words, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, through the prophet. He said, but you... Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So once again, with pinpoint precision, not just he talked about the time through Daniel, but now he's talking about the place through Micah. Now, along with the, the where is also the who. Who's God going to use to get this job done? And we notice this, Luke chapter 1. We notice that, that God picked the, this, this couple that was uh, betrothed to be married, Joseph and Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. When it came to the first coming of Jesus, who was the who? The who was Joseph and Mary. And now what about the what? You've got the why. You've got the, the, uh, the when and the where and the who. What about the what? And the what, I, I look at it like this. I call the what, the what will it take? Or the price that would need to be paid to get it done. What would it take to get this deal done? And it took God the Son, who was always existing with the Father, always was the one who created the world, the, the one who just was always enjoying sweet fellowship with the Father, having to leave the, the beauty of where he was, eternally existing, and come here to planet Earth. There was a price to getting this plan of God accomplished. And I'm glad my Jesus paid the price. What was part of this price that he paid? Imagine God taking on limitations. Now, you, you might see yourself in a certain way. You may see yourself as, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I've got so much freedom and I, I can express myself and I can do this and go there and do that. But you see, when you're God, the idea of taking on a body is greatly limiting. Now, now you, you, you've never known anything else. So, so for you, you, you just think, oh, well, I, if I want to get up and go, I just get up and go. If I want to say something, I say something, do something, I do something. But, but we don't realize how limiting a body is, it is. Because a body means you can only be at one place at one time instead of being everywhere present. So think about the, 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 the big change that Jesus was undertaking when he went from being God the Son who always was preexisted with the Father to coming to a point where he was limiting himself to be here in one place at one time. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews 10 verse 5. Therefore when he came into the world... He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus knew that that part of the price to pay was to come and to be limited to one geographical location. That that when, when the... uh, When when he was in Bethlehem, he couldn't be in Nazareth. And when he was in Nazareth, he couldn't be in Bethlehem. He was limited to be in one place at one time. And to think about this, the humility. And we know Pastor John's talked about this in recent time. The idea that, that, that wisdom himself would put himself in a position where he needed to grow in wisdom. Lord have mercy. Think about that. Luke 2 verse 40 says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Later on in the same chapter, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, that, I mean, that's just an amazing thought when you, when you realize that Jesus, who is all wisdom, who, 
who, who didn't need anybody to teach him, put himself in a position where he needed to be taught, where he needed to grow in something that, that, that we, we look at him today and we say, well, Jesus is wisdom. The, the Bible says that in the epistles of Paul, that Jesus has been made unto us righteousness, uh, sanctification, wisdom, redemption. But here we see Jesus growing in wisdom because the price he paid to fulfill the plan was to put himself in a position where he had to grow, where he had to become uh, something that, that we could never even imagine. How low. Talk about humbling yourself, talking about abasing yourself. When you go from being God Almighty, and he still was, he never stopped being God, we understand that. But in his function, he, he became man, just like you and me, with, 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 the, uh, with, with the same things that we got to deal with, being in one place at one time, uh, uh, you know, ha- having to, to eat food, having to sleep at night. Jesus had to sleep just like we had to sleep. Jesus had to eat food just like we had to eat food. He put himself in a position where he could live the way we lived and, and, and actually be tempted in all points like as we are. But oh, he's our hero because he never did sin. Hallelujah. So that's the template. The, the, the details behind God's plan. The who, the, the when, uh, I mean, I mean the, the why, the, the when, the where, the who, and the what. But when it comes to how this translates to us, you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see, once again, the why. You're going to see, once again, the when, the where, the who, and the what. Or you might say it like this. You will once again see the purpose, the punctuality, the place, the people, and the price. Are you ready? So this same pattern that we saw acted out in the first coming of Jesus, how does it relate to us? Well, first of all, the why. you got to realize that God's got a purpose for your life, a purpose. Uh, you know, Miles Monroe, who taught very much on the subject of purpose, made this statement that where, where purpose is not known Abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Why would a man abuse his wife? He obviously don't know the purpose for his wife. Why would a man abuse anything? He obviously does not know the purpose for it. Why would somebody take a car and drive it into a crowd? They're not operating that car for the purpose for which that car was made. Because if you want to know the purpose of the thing, how do you know the purpose of the thing? You go and talk to the manufacturer. Somebody help me tonight. You go talk to the manufacturer, the one who made it, because he had a specific reason why he made it. And if you don't know the purpose for you tonight, and if you feel you're living a purposeless life, then I need to tell you tonight that if you go and have a conversation with the manufacturer of you, you'll find out why you're here. Mm. Hallelujah. 
Proverbs 19 and verse 21 in the NIV. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Take a look at another verse, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. And it says this. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That's your why. It's not according to your works. Because you see, if it was, you say, well, I did some good work, so, so that would get me qualified. Or you say, well, I've done some bad works, that'll get me disqualified. But when you realize this, that this purpose of God for you is not according to works, this calling that you're called with is not according to works, but it is according to his own purpose and grace. Thank God you realize this at that point, that there's nothing so good that you could do that would qualify you. But at the same time, thank God there's nothing so bad you can do that would disqualify you. Because this is not about you. This is about him. And he purposefully picked you. And he purposefully, intentionally set a purpose, a why for you being here. Hallelujah. And you also have a win. Hey, hey, yeah. You and punctuality. Two words that go great together, right? (laughs) So you see, with with God, the, the, the idea that God was always right on time. And, and we, we saw the, the precision of the time uh, of Jesus coming, the, the, the wording of the scripture talking about the fullness of time. And with us, punctuality uh, and, and our timing and our, and our when, uh, you can look at it from two ways. First of all, you can look at it from the standpoint of somebody who knows what they need to do and just keeps on dragging their feet. And there are people like that. But I'm not going to emphasize that part of it tonight. The part we're going to emphasize is not the people that drag their feet, but the people that get there early. But not because the, what they're doing is they're actually trying to, trying to rush God, trying to hurry up the process, trying to get the thermometer in the turkey to go pop before the turkey's ready to come out of the oven. Are you with me tonight? But there's a win on this journey. There's a win. A God-ordained win. And there's nothing you can do to speed up that process. You can try to take yourself out of the oven. And the Lord say, get back in that oven. Because you see, before you hear well done there, you need to hear well done here. <laughs> You, the, the Lord ain't going to take you out half-baked. Come on now. So here we go. We're, we're talking about the when, you know, and, and we could hit it from the other side too, but I really felt that tonight for, for, for what God wanted to do here tonight, we needed to hit it from the, from the idea of, of not rushing God's timing. Acts chapter 13. This 
these two verses tell us something amazing. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we better know as Paul. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now. Now. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we see a now that's present. We see the work to which I have called them that's past. So we've got a calling that is past tense, but a separation that is now present tense. Which means you got to understand something about God. That there is the time when God says, I've called you to something. I've anointed you for something. But then, if you just take that and run with it, you can be way ahead of the game because just because you're called does not mean you're separated to the calling. And so if we get this, woo, if we get this, you're going to be miles ahead of lots of people if you just get this. To know that the calling of God, and I'm not just talking about a call to the ministry. Certainly that would apply too. But I'm talking about any calling that God's got for you and, 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 and for, for what he wants you to do, where he wants you to go. If you just jumped on the fact that you were called, you would miss something very likely because here's the thing. You get the call before you get the separation. The calling is usually the, the what you're called to do, but the, there's something about the separation. The separation is the when. The separation is the when. You see, uh, you, you, you know, in the book of Habakkuk where uh, the prophet Habakkuk talked about the vision, it, it, it's definitely timing related. As a matter of fact, uh, he, he said, write the vision and make it plain so he may run that reads it. So you see him talking about running. But then he goes on to say, but if it tarries, wait for it. So you might say, well, hey, prophet, I'm a little bit confused. Am I supposed to run with it or am I supposed to wait for it? Are you with me? But this is part of God's win because there's a time to wait and there's a time to run. And if you're waiting when you're supposed to run, you're obviously off track one way. But most of the time, I think we're ready to run at a point where we should be waiting. And so we see this, the, the importance of God's order of things, the way God handles the when in our lives. But I, I want to look at one other thing regarding this that I think is great. This is out of the King James Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 80, talking about John the Baptist. It says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. So you see, there, there's two times 
in here that we need to be aware of. There is grow time, and then there's show time. Do you see that? So you see the child grew and waxed strong until the day of his showing. So there's grow time, and there's show time. But, but if you are acting like it's show time, when it's still grow time, something ain't going to be working right. Something's going to be off kilter. Something's going to be out of order. So if we understand this and, and, and we recognize that there's a time where he, you can't say he's not called just like these other guys. He had been called. I, he's called. I mean, he's having church in his mother's belly. Come on. Mary shows up to Elizabeth's house and John the Baptist said, oh, hallelujah. So, I mean, the, the baby is leaping in his mother's womb, filled with the Holy Ghost, called to be the prophet, the forerunner to the Messiah. Know that from the very beginning, but he still had to grow. Because there was growing before the showing. So that's the when. What about the where? What about your place? Check this out as we go on with this. First Corinthians 12. Verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And I got to tell you, if there's a problem, there's several problems in the church today. And, and I'm not going to put myself out as the authority to speak about problems in the church overall today. But, you know, you can just observe a few things and talk about them. One problem in the church is that people put themselves where they want to be rather than let God set them in the body where he thinks they ought to be. And that is problematic. Because if you're going to go ahead and set yourself somewhere, then, then you're responsible for your own upkeep. And good luck with that, somebody. <laughs> But, but if God is the one who is setting you in the body where he wants you to be, the where, which is not just a spiritual location, it is also a geographical location. God has a place where he wants somebody to be. God has a local church where somebody, where he wants somebody to be. God has a geographical location where he wants somebody to be, to be able to reach people around them, to be able to influence uh, people around that location and be influenced by godly influences in that location as well. There's a where with God. Check this out. If you don't think the where matters, all you got to do is read this. Acts 16. Now, a little background here. This is Paul and his guys going on a, uh, a missionary journey. Going on a missionary journey, going out to preach the gospel. And they had already gotten started, and this is the, con the continuation of the story. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now hold on right there just a minute. I remember Jesus saying, going to the old world, preach the gospel to every creature. 
I remember Jesus saying, well, the Holy Spirit, uh, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses to in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, Jesus, I think Asia would be one of the uttermost parts of the earth. And here I am, and the Holy Spirit's telling me not to preach the word in Asia. What's up with that? Can we keep on reading before I answer that question? And they had come to Mysia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Well, wait a minute. Jesus told me to go everywhere and preach the gospel in the whole world, and now I got the Holy Ghost telling me not to go places. Now, in, in this particular instance, we could keep on reading. I'm going to stop there. But, but if you read down to verse 10, you see that eventually the, they, Paul had a dream. They knew where they were supposed to go and went there. But, but does geography matter to God? It must. But why would the Holy Spirit say, no, don't go there, when Jesus already gave a great commission that said, go everywhere? This is it. Because... You can cross over into somebody else's assignment if you're not careful. You see, Bithynia was the assignment of somebody. But it wasn't the assignment of these guys. How do I know? How can I prove to you from the word that Bithynia was assigned to somebody? Well, I don't have the verse to put up here, but you can look it up for yourself. It's First Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Because Peter wrote his epistle to the strangers that were scattered about through about seven places. One of those places was Bithynia. Somebody got the assignment. Somebody went to Bithynia. Somebody preached the gospel in Bithynia. But was that assignment given to these guys? No. And so you see, you're where. Where do you go? Where you're called to. Understand this, that you could very easily, if you don't think geography matters to God, you can cross over into somebody else's territory and actually run a red light that the Holy Ghost set up. I'm going to wave at you tonight. Somebody needs to get this. Hallelujah. But, but we see this. This is the wisdom of God with your where. Let God set you in your where. Don't set yourself in your word because if you do that, you may run a Holy Ghost red light and go and, and mess something up, get involved in something that was intended for somebody else to do and not for you to do. Don't, don't go ahead and look over the other side of the fence at what somebody else is doing. Go ahead and enjoy doing what God called you to do at the time he called you to do it in the place he called you to do it. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. All right, let's go a little further. Let's talk about the who. Well, in this case, the who is you and the who is me. And when we think about us, you know what? It's easy to imagine God using somebody else. You know, because, you know, we just see the, the, the yellow highlights in their Bible and how spiritual they look when they come to church, you know. It's easy to think about God using somebody else because, you know, they, they look good, you know. They, they got the praise moves just right, got their sway on, you know. You know, 
Uh, just that little swag they got when they're walking down the aisle, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they got it going on. I mean, yeah, that's God's man, God's woman, you know, and I'm just little old me. But, but you see, uh, the, the, that's, that's the, the way our mind goes because, you, you see, you, you don't know the skeletons in their closet. You, you know all the skeletons in your closet real well. And so it's easy to think that everybody else is, is, uh, you know, a man of faith and power and, uh, you are a man of paste and flour. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's easy to, to think that everybody else just got it going on and then there's you. But, but you need to understand this, that God has written a book about you. Woo! What does the Bible say about you? If you're the people, if you're the one that he's using, if you're the one that he's got, he, he's got a, a plan for, and then there's these details that, that, that are behind the plan, details that he worked out, and, and, and so intricately that he's got something that he doesn't want somebody else in the world to do, somebody else down the street to do. No, this is something he wants you to do. Imagine that. Psalm 139. Where else can you go but Psalm 139? For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. But listen to this. This is verse 16, that last verse out of the New Living Translation. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out. Before a single day had passed. Think about this. That your life was written in God's book. That he wrote a book about you. Well, let me give you a hint. If there's a book written about you. Think about this. If you've got. The author of that book, actually living and dwelling inside of you, then you've got an in with the author. Which means you can know every little twist and turn in the author's intent because the author that wrote the book about you, he don't just live somewhere on a house on the hill, somewhere far, far away. He lives inside of you, and you can talk to him any time of the day or night. Ask him questions about this book written about you, because you need to be up on the book, because you're going to be judged if your life at the end don't look like the book that was written about you. The reason why God wrote a book about you was God wanted you to have a roadmap to follow. And I got to tell you, the roadmap, the book written about your life was written by God, the Holy Spirit, who lives and dwells inside of you. And anything you need to know about the roadmap, the timing, the what, the where to go, the how to get it done, all you got to do is consult the author of the book. Hallelujah. So who's the who? Who, who said the owl? The who is you. The who is you. And thank God, there's a book by God written about 
you. And you know what? There's nobody else that God's looking for to get your job done, to fulfill your purpose, to fulfill his plan for you. No, the only one he's looking to get that job done is you. Hallelujah. And the what? The last of it, the price. What will it take? What will it take to get the job done? What's the what? As we looked at this from the, the, the why and then uh, the, the when and the, and the where and the who and now the what. What's the price? Well, let me just talk to you a little bit about the price of obedience and follow it according to the pattern that we see in the lives of Joseph and Mary. And we're going to wrap this up right now. First of all, you see this, that when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary, she submitted to the word and she believed it. So what do you need to do to, to, to do the what, to, to, to uh, pay the price that needs to be paid, to do whatever needs to be done? First of all, you can't get past first base I mean, you can't go from home plate to first base without doing this. You need to submit to the word. You need to believe the word. Just like Mary did when she said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And when Elizabeth made this uh, realization about Mary, Blessed is she who believed, for there shall be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I mean, you won't get past first base in, in, this, in this road to, to getting the plan of God fulfilled if you don't just simply submit to the word and believe it. But let me talk to you about several areas of obedience here regarding the, the what does it take, the, the price that needs to be paid, what, what do I need to do? Let's talk about obedience, following the pattern of Joseph and Mary. And the pattern of obedience is this. you got to obey immediately. You see, there's a time when you're in the cooker. You're in the slow cooker. But when God says it's now, it's got to be now. And you see, that's the thing. As you are learning the voice of the Lord and learning the, to be sensitive to his timing, you're learning the difference between when it's time to wait and when it's time to run. See, there's a time when you need to wait, but there's a time you just need to get up and do it. You know you need to do it. You just need to get up and do it. Obey immediately. Uh, You know, what, what a beautiful pattern. I mean, Joseph had a dream. He arose from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. Joseph had a dream, woke up Mary, woke up baby Jesus, said, hey, we gotta go to Egypt. Joseph had another dream. He said, time to leave Egypt, go back to Israel. Woke up the family, said, all right, time to go back. And he, the, you, you read this in Scripture, and, and it's, it's, it's immediate. Immediate obedience. You know, where, where you don't give yourself the time to think yourself out of it or talk yourself out of it. You just realize God's talking, and you get up and you go. And so it's interesting, we see two sides of the coin tonight, because we talked about that one side of the coin where you need to, to wait 
and, and, and you need to be patient and not get ahead of God. But at the same time, you balance that out by realizing that when you know the time's right and when you know the time's now, that's not the time to sit there anymore. That's not the time to wait anymore. You know, if you keep on waiting and then you end up being one of those saints that said, I've been waiting on the Lord for 50 years and the Lord said, I've been waiting on you. Come on now. But what else do we see about this kind of obedience? We see oh, oh, immediate obedience, but another thing you see in, in Joseph and Mary's, you see, see thorough obedience. That, that in Luke 2.39, it says this, that they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, and then they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. But what did they do? The, the, in detail and with thorough uh, with thoroughness, they, they performed everything that they needed to perform. They got done everything they needed to get done. So it was immediate obedience, and it was also thorough obedience. And I want to leave this with you. It's obedience when you don't fully understand it all. <laughs> Hallelujah. That just hit somebody right between the eyes. I felt it. Boom. It's not allowing your obedience to be affected by whether or not you fully understand what's going on. You know, uh, when the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and said she was troubled at the same, he talked to her about having a baby. She said, how can this be? I ain't never been with nobody. How am I going to have a baby? It said uh, in uh, Luke 2, that Joseph and his mother marveled at the things that were spoken of him. They just said, wow, <laughs> can't figure that out. Not, nothing to do but just to stand here with our mouth open and say, wow. And Jesus, you know, uh, uh, at 12 years of age, you know, they, they, they had to go find him. He's over in the temple. When they found him, they said, hey, where you been? We've been looking all over for you, Jesus. And what did he say? He said, didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house about my father's business? And the scripture says that they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So, can you still obey God even when you don't have every piece of the puzzle in place? When you can't exactly connect every dot, can you still obey God? Yes, you can. And yes, we need to. You know why? Because when you walk by faith, you don't connect the dots first. You obey first, and then you stand in awe at how God connected the dots for you. Come on, praise him tonight. Hallelujah. And that's how you see the, the details behind the plan get fulfilled. God's purpose, the punctuality, the time factor, the place, the geographical location, the people he wants to use, and I got to tell you, he wants to use you. And then the price that needs to be paid. And is there a price? Yeah, there's a price. But I got to tell you, the ultimate thing when it comes to the price that you may have to pay is that in the grand scheme it doesn't cost it pays
It feels for a minute like it costs something. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't cost. It pays. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you and honor you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word and what you've spoken to our hearts. And Lord, I thank you that that's going to take deep root and grow up in our lives and produce fruit. Lord, for, for these here tonight, I thank you, Lord, that you've spoken, spoken clearly. And Lord, that there's been a certain element of this that you've been able to take and, and just customize it to their heart for where they're at and what they're dealing with right now. We thank you for doing this in Jesus' name. Thank you.